Hi, this is Jim Lovato. I'm the president and founder of a company called Performance Group. You're listening to the podcast version of a program that originally aired on BizTalk Radio Show. I started BizTalk so you can have access to today's leading experts about growing your company and yourself. BizTalk is produced by Performance Group, which is in the business of helping the leadership of growth-oriented companies realize their potential. We do this by working with their sales force and helping those individuals discover and develop their unique abilities and then align those abilities with their opportunities. That's why we're known as a sales force development company. I hope you enjoy this podcast. On our program today is Lori Beth Jones. Lori is not only an entrepreneur and business owner, she is a national best-selling author. Her first book is Jesus CEO using ancient wisdom for visionary leadership. Lori Beth, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. There are a lot of books out there, but there are very few good books. And here's my definition of a good book. A good book has good chapters in it from beginning to end. So there's a lot of books that have good chapters, but aren't necessarily good books. And yours is one of the few I would put in the good book category. That's number one. Number two, I think it's a nightstand book. And my definition of a nightstand book is it's one of those books you take out of the library and keep close to you because at any time you can pick it up, reference any chapter, and gain some insight. So I wanted to congratulate you on your first book. And obviously because I think what I mentioned, it became a national bestseller, but one of the few books that truly is a great book from cover to cover. Well, thank you very much. That's very kind of you to say. Um, I think that I've heard that from CEOs and friends that go to visit CEOs and they see the Bible and Jesus CEO on their desk. So <laughs> I think the short the short chapters that I write have, might have something to do with well, it. I, I think so. <laughs> and, and, and the questions at the end, which are, are also very good. But, but I, I have to think, though, when, I, when uh, looking at your background and stuff, uh, you didn't set out to be an author, though. Well, I, uh, as I was sharing before the program with you, when I was 10 years old, I came home one day and announced that someday I was going to be a writer and have a horse ranch. And, um, you know, my parents just took that in stride, and I actually have turned out to be a writer. <laughs> and I did have a horse ranch, although it turned out to be a lot more work than I anticipated when I was 10 years old. Um, but uh, so I had a sense of that, and I think a lot of that was nurtured by a my fourth grade teacher who was very encouraging about my writing skills even then. So Mrs. Lane, I, I remember her still. Well, let's go back to um, when you first started in business then. Uh, I have in my notes here that you took a $500 loan out from your mother, <laughs> which I don't know if that's, that's better than borrowing from the bank or not. I have to figure that out. <laughs> And, uh, it has been repaid. It has been repaid. Well, well, good. So go back in that time, though, and, and, and you must have had this moment where you had this entrepreneurial seizure where you thought, well, I can go off and start my own business. <laughs> yes, I, um, I'm, I have friends who are like me, and they say basically we're unemployable. I mean, <laughs> we're not going to do well working for someone else. And... Um, I was working at the YWCA with a, a boss I had who was very loving, and in fact, she's still my best friend 30 years later. But she observed me 
doing social work. I was working with women, battered wives, and helping coordinate uh, services for them. And she called me into her office one day, and she said, you know, I've been watching you, and I have to say, I don't think you're cut out for social work. <laughs> and, and I was so disappointed, and, you know, I just felt badly. But she said, um, but you have gifts in other areas. You know, you're a, a natural promoter. You love to write. Uh, when you believe in something, you're very capable of getting other people to believe in it. So what else could you do? And so she actually helped me think of starting an ad agency because that combines promotion with writing. And so I started, and uh, my mother did loan me the $500, and it just took off. So that's how I got my own business, and I've never looked back. When did you get to the point where you said to yourself, you know, I've run across some things that I'm, I'm seeing that I think would make a, a great book? What led to the precipitous to start the book, Jesus CEO? Well, I had moved my ad agency to San Diego, California, and I was working with um, some healthcare clients. And the and I had a team. By this time, I had built up my agency to where it was six people and myself. And I was desperately looking for ways to learn how to manage a team of creative people. <laughs> and all the books that were out there, these were the you know the business books. These were the titles: Looking Out for Number One. Winning Through Fear and Intimidation, The Art of War in Business, The Leadership Secrets of Attila Hun. And I just thought, you know, this is ridiculous. This is really setting up a win-lose and advance yourself at all costs. Someone has to die in order for you to succeed. And I thought, well, this isn't how Jesus built a team and a franchise that was, um, you know, that has lasted 2,000 years. So I had some notes, and I have a friend of mine from college, she was looking over my notes, and she said, you know, this is good stuff. You ought to drop what you're doing and write this book. And she turned out to be a prophet in my life because I did. And I was I was willing to hand it out on street corners, you know. It's just like, this is so sad. So one of my clients, her boss took them on a retreat and had them go through the leadership secrets of Attila the Hun. And at the end of the weekend, he said, uh, who's the most important person in your world? And they said, the patient. And he said, no, I am. And three people quit that day. And they said, we're not going to work for a man like that and, You know, when we're in the healthcare business. So she called me crying, the HR director who had been there for 12 years, and it handed in her resignation. And that's when I knew that it was critical that, that this false mentality of the as a leader was really impacting people's lives. It wasn't just a book out there. It was affecting people that I knew. And I said, okay, that's it. I'm going to have them look at another role model of someone who uh, only had three years to, 12, to train 12 people, none of whom were divine. And those 12 people went out and changed the world. And they were willing to work for free and die for him. So I just put it in, in a business context. I didn't use the word sin. I didn't use the word disciples. I said, look, you know, Jesus, every major religion acknowledges at the very least that this man existed. And so what can we learn from him? Whether you believe in him religiously or not, this man was an incredible leader. What did he teach about leadership? How did he get people to be willing to work for free and die for him? What did he do? And so that's, I just looked at the steps that he took and the three categories of strengths he had. 
and it just the book just took off. It hit a hit a nerve. Yeah, and why do you think that is? Well, I think that business leaders, every leader that I know, is constantly searching for new information because if there's one dynamic that is always going to be there for a leader, it is one word, and that is change. So the rules that worked yesterday are not going to necessarily work today because the whole landscape has shifted. We've seen that in our own economy. It used to be you know, the safest investment you could have was your house. Uh, put your money in a bank. Give your money to trusted financial advisors. You know, all these rules that have basically served us for the last 30 years suddenly got turned upside down. So leaders want something that works. And when the book came out, it hit the Business Week bestseller list and stayed there for 13 months, which is unheard of. And it was business people who bought the book because, you know what? These principles work. Jesus took a group of contentious, untrained, sometimes cowardly people and turned them into a lean, clean marketing machine. How did he do that? So that's what I talked about in the book. And people began to see that you can treat people kindly and get results. It's not just about the bottom line. Um, there are ways to motivate people beyond, to go above and beyond the call of duty if you understand the motivations of their hearts. And that's clearly what Jesus did and what what he worked with. Laurie Beth, the, the, the book has been out for a number of years now. Surely you have some stories that have come back to you of people who have read the book and applied the principles. Do you have any of those stories you can share with our audience? Um, oh, yes. We've gotten so many. Um, so many. Just, you know, my mind is just flooded with them right now. I've become close friends with Dr. Connie Maiorano, who was the uh, physician at the White House. She served President Clinton and also senior George Bush and she said that she got the book and it really encouraged her at a time where you know here she she's an admiral in the Navy and was also the presidential position and she said to have a woman leader to talk to through the book was really uh, helpful to her during those times when she was on call 24-7 traveling the world with the president um, I got a call from a man who worked at the Border Patrol, and he said that he had been upset about the way that they were detaining, you know, families who were, of course, here illegally, but nevertheless, there were children and women, and sometimes he said they would pick them up in the desert, and they would immediately just put them, you know, ship them back to Mexico, and he said they weren't feeding them, they were not giving them water, and he, he said I, it gave me the courage to stand up to my boss and said, these are human beings. We need to take, we need to feed them. We need to give them water. <laughs> and uh, that was a very moving story for me. And then another one was uh, after the Oklahoma City bombing, someone wrote and told me that uh, all of the agencies, the volunteers that met and the, the different agencies that were there used uh, Jesus CEO as a morning devotional before they went about doing their very sorrowful path. So uh, I think it's, what it does is it, it helps people remember 
that we all have a divine connection and we all have a divine purpose. And the workplace is an incredible place for us to carry out our calling. You know, you don't have to just go be a minister to serve God. In fact, um, that's a very small percentage of, of how we can serve. And I was on a radio interview yesterday with a business show in Malaysia and was talking about Jesus' understanding of economics, that when he was talking about the, the shepherd that lost the sheep, it wasn't just a sentimental thing for him. It was an economic burden to lose that sheep. The woman who lost her coin and was looking for it, for the coin, that was economic. The sower who goes out to you know to sow, knowing that 80% of the seed is not going to grow, that's economic. Uh, and yet he still has to face the plant of seed. The person who buried their talents, and we're, you know, we're supposed to multiply that, and how angry the master got when he came back and the people had buried their talents. That's economics. So Jesus clearly, even back then, was talking to a group of largely nomadic entrepreneurs. Um, he spoke to what works, and the human heart has not changed in 2,000 years. No. We still are motivated by love, greed, and fear. Your book is organized, Strength of Self-Mastery, Strength of Action, Strength of Relationships, as it's put together. And, right. and inside are, are many short chapters, which makes it an easy read and a very understandable read. But share with our audience, if you would, from any of those categories, maybe one or two of the lessons that are in the book that may be relevant to what's going on today. Sure. Well, the gift of self-mastery, it was interesting to me when I looked at Jesus, his ministry, before he went on his, before he began his work, he went into the wilderness and was confronted and tempted um, by Satan. But if you looked at what he was tempted with, one was, you know, if you're so great, throw yourself off a cliff, raise yourself from the dead. He could have done that, but he did not. Um, If you're so hungry, turn these stones into bread. He could have done that, but he did not. All of the temptations, the three that he was challenged with, related to a specific gift set that he had, that he knew he had. And I think the wilderness experience was for him to get clear on maybe these were potential weaknesses that he, that he had, to say, can you deal with your shadow side when, when the going gets tough? Can you use your gifts only when called upon for God's work instead of just your own selfish needs? And he passed that test. And so many leaders who have the gift of leadership have not confronted their shadow side, do not have this gift of self-mastery, and we see this all the time, where they fall, because they don't know how to master their own challenges. So with, with Jesus, you know, he was tested, and he confronted that, and, and if only our leaders also would recognize that and confront it before they get into a position where they're shadow side affects the lives of other people in a negative way. So that's that's self-mastery, is being able to state your gifts and know your challenges and um, 
you know, I just feel adamantly about that because so many people want the brass ring, they want to be leaders, but they don't understand that when you're in those situations where you have to make decisions based on almost knee-jerk reactions, you do not have time to get all the details. You need to know your character, you need to know what you stand for, and you need to know where you might fall victim to temptation so that you don't get blindsided by that on the battlefield. Lori Beth, we're going to move on to your section in your book on strength and relationships, which is probably very critical given what we're going through right now, given all the pressures that people are probably feeling. So what is relevant today that we should know today in handling our relationships, given what's going on? Well, the, the thing about Jesus was, again, when you look at it, he, he worked with a really diverse group of people, and yet he was able to speak differently to them at different times. Like James and John, they called the Sons of Thunder. <laughs> you know, they earned that nickname. Evidently, they were willing to call down hellfire and brimstone on anybody who crossed cross their eyes at him. And Jesus worked differently with them. He said to Peter, you know, don't worry about what I'm saying to someone else. Worry about what I'm saying to you. So he knew that every flower in the field has its own face. And he was tuned in to the individual needs and motivations of his team. Now, with relationship skills, when I looked at Jesus' leadership style, there were four things he did with a team that everybody who works on a team or with a team needs to understand. And I use the four elements to, to uh, help as a kind of a memory device, but also this is really what he did. The first thing he did with his team was he excited them like the fire. Fire gets people excited, you know, whether it's the sirens coming around the corner or a candle at a table that people gather around or a grill that's cooking up some chicken. You know, people like to gather around fire, so there's an excitement uh, quotient to fire that every leader needs to, you know, fire up their team, literally. And then the second elemental thing that he did with the team was that he grounded them. He not only got them excited about the big picture, but then he grounded them about, okay, if you follow me, we're going to be fishes of men. That's we're going to go get people, and we're going to change lives, and everybody got excited about that. But then he immediately said, and if you follow me, this is what it's going to cost you. Maybe everything. People are going to spit on you. They're going to call you names. You may lose family members over this. Um, so he was very realistic about the cost. The other thing that Jesus did with his team was he transformed them like water. When you think about water, it is the transforming element. If you pour powder on it, it turns it into liquid. If it touches a seed, it will cause it to sprout and bring life. Um, so Jesus transformed the team. They were not the same as a result of being with him. And he actually immersed them in his values, and he immersed himself in their lifestyle. So it was like a double immersion of transformation. And then the fourth and final thing that he did, which is like the wind, is he released them. You have seen, go and tell others what you have seen and heard from me. I give you the authority to do this in my name, go. Um, he sent them out to do great things. So it's those four elemental things that every team leader needs to do. And what happens is 
in my experience, is a lot of team leaders, they might get the team excited, and then they might release them, but they haven't grounded or transformed them. So they're actively releasing untransformed, ungrounded people, products, or services into the marketplace. <laughs> or you might have someone who's very good at, at transforming the team and who's very good at grounding the team, but there's no excitement and there's no release into the marketplace. So you really need to be firing on all those four cylinders in order to have a very effective team, as he did. Which leads us up to some of the current work you're doing today, which centers around the four elements of success. Now tell our audience about that. Well, as, as I worked with personality profiles, and I've taken them all, and they're all good, um, most of them are based on a fourfold model. But what I found about a lot of those that are out there are they're a little bit complicated, mostly because they're developed by academics. And I wanted something that was very simple, easy, fast for people to understand because my philosophy is if people understand it, then they'll use it. If they use it, then it'll make make a difference. If they don't understand it, they're not going to use it. So as I was playing with this, that's how I came upon the elements. And and basically, a, a quick primer on it is that the earth personality type is someone who is analytical, they're steady, grounded, predictable, like the earth. The symbol I chose for that is a green box. They like things to line up. Um, They are motivated by accuracy and structure. And then you have the water personality types that are just like water. They go with the flow. They'll do anything to avoid a confrontation. You know, rather than blast through a rock, they'll go around it. Um, They also take on the toxins of the people around them. They are the empaths. Um, you've touched just if you, no matter how large a surface of water is, if you just touch the surface of it, it ripples across the whole body of water. It feels everything. Um, and then the third element personality type is wind, which is the messenger element. It's unpredictable, invisible. It's the first one that's going to bring you the sense of spring, the first one that's going to bring you the sense of danger. Um, impossible to put in a box, impossible even for weather satellites to predict with great accuracy where the wind is going to go. (laughs) Uh, As much as we try, we still can't know from hour to hour. Um, And the wind of the Holy Spirit has been, the wind has been compared to the Holy Spirit, telling us things that we cannot yet verify with our other senses. And then the fire element personality type comes from fire which is focare, uh, Latin, which means focus. The fire personality type is someone who is intense, all in, very committed to results, get the details, uh, get the results, no matter what the cost, come hell or high water, that's the fire. They're going to get the job done. So the opposite element of fire is water. The opposite element of wind is earth. And what happens on teams and this is where we have great fun and get great results, is that let's say you have the CEO of a company who's off in a fire, and then um, that sets the tone for the team. They are very much based on results. But what if they have a water assistant who cares about people and the fire gets impatient and, and wants to fire the water because they don't take a stand on things, 
and this has happened. We've, we've seen a lot of uh, people who use this change job descriptions within a company. Uh, in fact, on our website, there is a, an eight-minute news video that they did about a company that used this with their team, and it just made all the difference. He had a receptionist who was a, an earth fire, and he was about to, re to fire her because she wasn't good with people. Well, her personality type was she's all about the details and the results, and who cares how people feel about it? You know, someone would call in and she'd say, what do you mean you need that number again? I gave it to you yesterday. <laughs> so he changed her job description, and it really made a difference. Um, so when you have a team dynamic, every element is present on the team at some level. But what happens if you have a team that's all winds and fires? And this was the case with one of the companies that we worked with. Um, there was a lot of conflict on the team. I think there were 11 people. Constant conflict, and, and they were in the real estate business, and they could get the deals, but the deals always fell out of escrow. They couldn't hold the deals. Well, when we did their elemental team profile, they were all winds and fires. There was one earth on the team named Wendy who was trying to hold everything together, and there were no waters to care about the people. So when they did this and the team leader recognized that, you know, with winds and fires, it was there could be power plays, there could be... Winds and fires like to stir up the drama. There was a lot of drama, but no results. So this is just a way for companies to understand the dynamics of... Um, when you understand the giftedness of your people elementally, and you get them to work in their element, you're going to get better results, faster results, more long-lasting results with this wisdom. And that's what companies are, are starting to use around the world. So you're actually able to really marry what some people's unique abilities are, what they're naturally good at, create some team harmony, back that up with some of the ancient wisdom from your first book and, and <laughs> put a pretty powerful combination together then. <laughs> Well, it, it really is, and what happens with, the, with using the elements is it gives people a common vocabulary to use instead of name-calling, and it's great for conflict resolution because what we've witnessed is that uh, when you have a team that's all committed to trying to get the same results, if there's conflict, 80% of the time it's due to the different elemental approaches rather than people wanting to tear each other down. So an earth might want to move more slowly. The fire gets annoyed with that because they think, you know, you're taking too long. Why are you being afraid? Why are you being cautious? And the earth is thinking to the fire, you know, you're just dangerous. Don't you understand? We don't have all the facts on this. And it could really blow up in our faces if we do not get all the facts. Or you have a wind who sees a trend and says, you know what, I think we, we need to start moving towards uh, digital mobile technology. That's where everybody's going. And meanwhile, you have this company that's spent 100 years tooling up for landlines. <laughs> and they're saying, no, no, you know, oh, that's just how he's crazy. You know, he's always saying something kooky. And the wind is so frustrated because they, the wind is the only element that circles the globe. And they see things and they sense things. They don't always know how to prioritize. It's not their job to complete the task. Their job is to say, guess what, this is what's coming. And then it's up to the other team members to say, okay, that, that thing you were playing around, that was just a piece of white newspaper trash. This thing over here, that's a Japanese silk scarf. We're going to take that one and run with it. 
so the other way that it helps teams is is they start using the vocabulary instead of saying, you know, you're just such a jerk. They say, you need to tone your fire down here just a little bit um, because my water is, is wanting to disappear. So it takes it out of the personal realm and makes it elemental. And the other thing that we've seen has happened with this is that people begin to respect their opposites rather than dismiss their opposites. The wind knows without the earth, they're not going to get anything done because the earth for the follow-up. They're the people who fill in the dots and connect the dots and, and make it happen. So suddenly you see on your team the wind start to respect the, respect the earth, and the earth, realizing that without the wind, their job would be pretty boring, uh, and uh, they, they could be stuck in the past. So it's, it's just great fun to see teams. I mean, when we do this, people are laughing so loudly that um, everybody wants to come and join in. You know, people come out of their offices and say, what's going on here? We want to play. And it does it, you know, you can teach the truth in a fun way and, and have it go deep. And this is what we're experiencing. So, Lori Beth, let's go back in time. You have this ad agency, which you started on a $500 loan from your mother. You get this idea for the book. You write it, gets released, and pretty much explodes after that. So tell our audience about the transitions and changes you had to go through with that rapid success. Well, you are very good at asking questions. <laughs> I think you're in the right line of work. <laughs> um, for me, I had to make a sudden and rapid shifts um, from being a small business owner struggling to make payroll to being someone who was being called to travel all over the world and meet with you know, governors and Pentagon generals and all this other stuff, I had to give up my staff and I had to give up my advertising agency, and that was very hard for me. Um, so you had to walk away from that business you created. Yes, yes, to let, to let it go. To let it go, and yeah. To, to change forms, and that's why having a mission is so important because I remember my mission is to recognize, promote, and inspire divine connection in myself and others. And so that was my corporate mission statement. And I was doing that. I was looking for what was divinely excellent in the companies that I was serving, and then I was promoting them. But when I got called, I believe I was called to write this book and realized that it, I was going to have to let my ad agency go, I had to ask myself, would writing a book be in line with my mission of divine connection and it was so i'm very adamant about people when they get their mission statements never to lock into a job description <laughs> because it, it may change and yeah. probably will certainly in this economy yeah so stay true to the mission and take whatever road will right. get you there right is there one question i haven't asked you today or a final thought you want to leave with our audience before we let you go well, I would ask the listeners to challenge them, rather, to be able to state their mission statement in a single sentence. Hmm. What did they come here to do? And we have a download on my website that they can go to that, that helps them do that. Uh, but 
I would like to be able to go up to anybody on the street all over the world and say, what did you come here to do? Not what do you do? <laughs> what did you do? But why are you here and are you doing that? I believe each of us has a work that only we can do. And when you find that and follow it, you're going to be in bliss. Lori Beth, it's been great having you on the program. Thanks for being with us. Thank you so much. This or other BizTalk podcast may be downloaded by visiting our website at www.biztalkradioshow.com. Or you can subscribe to BizTalk through iTunes. If you want to learn the strategies how to take your sales force to the next level, you can contact the performance group at 800-550-9509. Or visit us on the web at www.pmgllc.net.